1: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. work prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Good evening,
1: and Welcome to a very special episode of Tetra Podcats. As always, there's me, John Conway, and uh, Darren Naish, but this time we're also joined by a special guest podcat, Blake Smith, a well-known sceptic, punster, and co-host of the Monster Talk podcast. Maybe we should start with Darren's tremendously exciting uh, experiences in Rio. Rio, baby. Rio, baby.
0: What happened to Rio, baby? Oh, the 2013 International Symposium on Pterosaurs held in Rio de Janeiro. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. It was a uh, not not fantastically well attended, which is not surprising in view of how expensive it is to get to Rio. But um, still, they still had a pretty good spread of interesting talks, and um, I, I I kind of don't want to say too much about it because obviously all the interesting stuff I have to say about it are, are, is in that Tetsubon Zoology article. So, um, And you don't want to skip yeah. your tetrapodology. <laughs> well, what am I going to do? I just refer, refer people to that. Yeah, if you, want, if you want to know what happened at Rio, read the tetrapodology article. What else can I say? It was, uh, yeah, I mean, because all, all the highlights, all the, you know, real sort of fascinating uh, pterosaur details are, I'll, I'll write quite quite nerdy and technical. And it's uh, um, I saw a lot of birds that I haven't seen before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll be I'll be blogging about them. I've uh, been going through my many many photographs. Photographs, because the first thing you see there, you know, it's my first time in not only in Rio, not only in Brazil, my first time in South America, is uh, being picked up at the airport and driving through the city. So like you're literally driving past um, black vultures and frigate birds wheeling in the sky above the city, and ah, uh, that was just you know a real well, it was quite quite incredible, and. um This is
1: beginning to sound like your trip to Lyme Regis, where you looked at some (laughs) gulls, (laughs) which presumably you can do in Southampton, uh, which is where you live, by the way.
0: Yes, yes. But, you know, if you're interested in animals, they're kind of everywhere and you've got to pay attention to this stuff. Otherwise, are you alive? You know, it's like that's the that's the point of... uh, if um,
2: you're British and you're married and, and you say I'm going down to the beach to look at gulls, don't does, 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 does you get in trouble? What <laughs> <laughs> gulls? Depends. Depends on your accent. I'm going well,
0: to look you, at. You do get in trouble birds. For
1: saying birds,
0: yeah. Exactly. Yeah, birds. I was going to make
1: a bunch of jokes about you going to Rio to look at birds, but I just thought. Uh, uh, uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> how how unpredictable. But uh, yeah. Did yeah. you see a blue I didn't see any any calls. and if you're referring to that god awful movie, <laughs> I, see, I I really like the Pixar films, and, and as someone with two young kids, you know, I, I've watched them a lot. But I really, really dislike that one. And you and I may know what we're talking about, but John maybe doesn't, and other people may not. So let's keep it that way. I, t-
1: which film, is it?
0: film? Well, it's called Rio. Oh, of course, yes. And it's oh god, it's just, I really dislike it. Uh, Uh, I read
2: reviews and decided not to watch it film best known by its toys rather than its actual content
0: um, where were we? Rio terrible spells Yeah, I I, I, I mean, I, when I was at Rio, I spoke about Draco, the, the new little pterosaur from England I published earlier this year. I was really excited by Nate Carroll and colleagues' talk on and a new, new Asdarkid from the Two Medicine Formation, because obviously the stuff that they're saying is completely in agreement with the stuff that I have published with various colleagues on uh, on, on Asdarkids. They've got new material of, of this Asdarkid that indicates... I can't say too much, but, you know, stuff to do with the, the the profound terrestrial locomotory abilities of these animals. I also spent the more than a day looking at pterosaur holotypes, ter- Brazilian pterosaur specimens, uh, particularly Thalassodromius, and um, that was that was real, really incredible. Um, the the museums as well, yeah, there some fantastic museums, the the National Museum, and the the. Um, uh, um, uh, another one. I oh, know. I wanted to remember the names, and I've forgotten. But but it meant got to see loads of famous Brazilian things like spinosaur, Brazilian spinosaurs, and the uh, uh, ground sloths. You know, not just not just Cretaceous stuff, but um, Cenozoic things like um, the the saber tooth croc, Barosuchus, and and uh, stuff like that, and and also Triassic things like dicynodonts and stuff. So yeah, really awesome. Really enjoyed it. Uh, 11 hour flight either way, which wasn't so enjoyable, but I watched a lot of movies.
2: Yeah, it's a long way Um, Blake have you ever been to South America? (laughs) No, I haven't I was just wondering if Darren saw a map in Guari while he was there
0: No, you know, I didn't No, no no (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't I didn't get out of Rio so I didn't go into anywhere, you know natural I didn't get the chance, so, well, there was a field trip to the Araripi Plateau, which is um, has been suggested at times to be the inspiration or one of the inspirations for Arthur Conan Doyle's Lost World, of course, Maple Whiteland. So um, that would have been a nice place to go to, given a vested interest in cryptozoology as well as vertebrate paleontology. But uh, I just, I just for, for personal reasons, couldn't fit that in to my life, unfortunately um but i'm sure i you know I've got to get back there sometime we really really must see not only the amazon but also the the Katinga forests and the the other the other kind of uh, diverse habitats that they have out there
2: what was Dave Martell so, there
0: um what how do i answer that um okay i will t- david Martil is is uh, <laughs> is um under threat of arrest if he shows his face in brazil so um he so tends- his previous
2: <laughs> visits were very exciting but <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> he 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 did have a um f- he did undergo fairly regular visits to to brazil for many years but um he has written some inflammatory articles about the brazilian fossil trade and as a consequence he is on the radar as someone who they uh, they want to um <clears throat> uh choose his words carefully how do i say the, 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 there's there's a lot of interest in him from officialdom in in Brazil. So um, he, yeah, he did he didn't go. He didn't go. Wow! But, uh,
2: if he went, is... he would never he would never come back. It's exciting, but you know that's it's you know, <laughs> <that's laughs> a lot more drama than I usually get. So.
0: Well, well, I've got lots of great stories about Dave Martill and his travels. But um, I sh- and for those who don't know, Dave Martill was my uh, PhD supervisor uh, when I was a PhD student and uh, a long-standing friend and colleague of mine. But so
2: Unfortunately, no- this is a family podcast. So we can't well, and he was me. also the fifth. Uh, <laughs> he was the fifth guest on Monster Talk. So.
0: You're kidding? Yeah.
2: Um,
0: I didn't know that. Was that in connection with his travels in New Guinea? Uh,
2: it was, in fact. Yeah, we were talking about uh, pterosaurs and the. Um, what uh, is the rope called the, uh, uh, yeah, the rope the rope. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Rain fail there.
0: Yeah. Have you seen the documentary that he features in?
2: <laughs> of course. Yes.
0: Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that, that's really interesting because it features, um, now I've forgotten the name of the, the, the primary champion of the rope um, this this guy who's he's a well-known, outspoken creationist who has written a the book on the rope, and it's called "Searching for Living Pterosaurs" or something like that. And uh, and he features on this documentary, and um, um, has various um, discussions with Dave Martill, who's obviously brought in as the pterosaur expert, and also with some guy who's a um, uh, um, okay, the guy's name is da- J- Jonathan David Wickham.
2: That's right. He has
0: a yeah. He he he's talking with Dave Montiel and also with this mammalogist who works on fruit bats because obviously one of the explanations for the uh, Ropen or the doer, another name, whichever name you want to use for it. Um, one of one of the competing hypotheses, is obviously, that people are seeing bats instead of seeing pterosaurs, and. Obviously, I have seen I have the documentary. Whitcomb does not come across well. Um, not that anyone else he comes across well in the documentary. But um, um, I, I also obviously have kind of the background information to... Uh, to <laughs> Why do I do this? I get myself into these sort of blind alleys where I know I can't talk about it. There's all this stuff about what happens in New Guinea and about these people and about what the locals actually think of them and about, you know, you go to somewhere like New Guinea as a non-native, as an American or European or whatever, you have to kind of integrate, don't you? You have to like, you know, get on with local people and do this kind of stuff. And if you don't, if you sort of just, things don't work out well and i'll stop there but what i will say is that the entire rope and phenomenon is it's another one of these cases in cryptozoology where if you look at what's been published and what you'll find online there's this like enormous i'm, I'm really big on this idea in cryptozoology i come up come up with these ideas a lot there's this enormous pile of um data careful this there's no pile of data all these ideas about first of all what what the animal is okay the, what the cryptid is and then how it behaves and then a bit about its kind of its history its evolutionary history its history of interactions with people what it you know what how it might live what it eats all this kind of stuff there's this huge like giant pile giant pile because i'm thinking of it basically I'm, I'm heading for pile of cards here house of cards and you look at what it's based on it's all based on this small body of them observa- of, um, primary eyewitness data and everything that has been constructed all rests on that little pile of that initial eyewitness accounts. And you have to go back to those, you know, everybody, particularly the everybody is interested in this, particularly those of us who have a skeptical approach, you go back to this like original small pool of eyewitness accounts. And you find in so many of these cases, and I'm thinking here of Ropent in particular, that, that that stuff is just a joke. It's like comes from unreliable sources that, you know, none of it can be None of it can be backed up or documented. The The sources concerned are not the most trustworthy people for various reasons, you know, without wanting to insult them. And the um, there's always uh, pretty satisfactory, or compelling alternative explanations. So the Ropen is meant to be this creature that's like a pointy-winged, large, dark, flying creature seen at night. Well, you know, there are frigate bats and frigate birds and fruit bats that are seen all around the coast of New Guinea. And it's also meant to be bioluminescent, to glow at night, and to be seen flying in a certain direction over the mountains. Well, there are airplanes that fly over <laughs> New Guinea, <laughs> and they seem to fly in the same
2: particular trajectory
0: as the rope. So,
2: yeah, your comments yeah. are quite consistent with what Dr. Martell said. And, uh, and that you know that's the 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 whole thing with monster talk has been uh collecting and kind of digging in deeper than you would get on a documentary I, we we always sort of positioned ourselves as being uh instead of being 5 minutes of uh of skepticism out of a 60 minute show we're we're the inverse right <laughs> so it's, it's 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 great stuff though I mean, and you're right and of course it also there opens another great example of one of those cryptids where um people who want it to be a pterosaur tend to dismiss the features reported which don't match with pterosaurs (laughs) and uh, people who want it to be some sort of uh, new supernatural sort of creature uh, embrace different aspects of the evidence. It's, it's, that seems to be, you know, the same thing with the uh, Southern Bigfoot where you have three toed, four toed, five toed, Um, Mm. you know, conservation of uh, toes is um, uh, pretty powerful stuff. And so,
1: I, I think that's a, sorry. Just getting back to the motivation thing for a yeah. second.
2: Um, yeah. You know, people
1: that want it to be a pterosaur. I mean, a lot of this stuff—it's because it's funded by creationists, right? Yeah. So they—they they need it to be a pterosaur. Well, um, this 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 because guy, of he's... their rather convoluted reasoning. Yeah, I do yeah. find this rather fascinating. Their reasoning that if they find something like a living pterosaur, therefore evolution is false. Yes, it's a very odd idea. It, it doesn't is indeed. follow. And yet they that, seem to be willing to chuck a lot of money at it, right?
0: Well, that is that is certainly uh, Whitcomb's primary motivation, saying that it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's he's a creationist, and he says the discovery of this of this animal would uh, refute um, what do they call it Darwinism or whatever they call it? You know, it would refute the theory of evolution, which of course is absolute nonsense, and it's also. Uh, and this is true for some other creatures. You know, we know of creationists who who have a vested interest in searching for the Makila Mbembe and the the the, the, Cong, the alleged Congolese uh, sauropod dinosaur, and so on.
2: Yeah, that's, um, that's and- exactly that's been a a, a fascinating um, aspect of cryptozoology to me is the way that it's it's sort of split into. Um, I, I see this being basically three groups of people. Um, the I, I guess the. Resp- I'm going to say respectable cryptozoologists who really are looking for a biological basis for these strange claims in a natural world. And then there's Mm. the uh, evolutionists or anti-evolutionists rather creationists who are looking for ways to disprove, uh, evolution or prove that the earth's not really as old as people say. And then the third group is the paranormalists who are looking for, uh, these cryptids as proof that the supernatural or the paranormal is taking place. So, um, and they all get together and break up into groups when they go to conferences, I guess.
1: <laughs> mm.
2: It's an interesting yeah, it's, split.
1: It is one of those yeah. interesting subjects that draws in very different sorts of people, right? Um, very scientifically minded people as well as uh, <laughs> less well, like, scientifically yeah. minded people.
0: I mean, in, in the UK, I go fairly regularly to, to meetings that I, I refer to as cryptozoology meetings because... They do. They are pretty much the only places where people gather to talk about mystery animal research. But they're not just cryptozoology meetings. They're also they're they're, they're general um, 40 and phenomena. You know, weird mm-hmm. phenomena meetings. They, the The 40 and Times magazine has an annual, sometimes biannual, and sometimes they don't have one in a year. But a, a regular meeting called Unconvention. There's also another meeting called Weird Weekend that happens. Every year, down in Devon, in in southwest of England, and uh, you will get to hear talks that you you would regard as reasonably sceptical, and people talking about you know the ev- evidence for say British big cats, or they went looking for the Yeti, and they were actually looking for nests and scat and this kind of stuff, and they were clearly thinking of these of these things as as, as animals, physical animals, not different from other animals that we know of. But on the other hand, you have at the same meetings, you know, the next talk is someone talking about. Phantom uh, toys or shape-shifting wasp people, <laughs> <laughs> or the magic power of triangles. Um, I'm I'm not joking. These are all genuine talks I've actually been to, um, and and it's yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, I really enjoy a lot of the some some of the most amazing talks I've ever heard in my entire life have uh, uh, been given at those meetings. I I um remember on Facebook a couple of years ago I was. I, I just just for a laugh, I said, I bet I've been to more interesting talks than you, just sit saying to all my friends, and I like just listed these hilarious talks I've been to. It's like, wow, that's, that's some crazy stuff there. But uh, and it's great fun. But as a you know, as a scientist and a, as, as someone who approaches things from the skeptical side, it's like, oh my god, are you seriously saying that? It's like there was there was a, the, the last weird weekend I went to, the most memorable talk was one on the hexum heads. And I'm sure Blake is fa- – you familiar with the hexam heads?
2: I don't think so. It's oh, not, okay. It's, it's not ringing a bell.
0: They're these, they're these um, fist-sized, rounded um, um, stone heads that were found in someone's back garden. And they were supposed to be of ancient Celtic origin. And they were kept by um, an archaeologist in her house – and uh, I, I I haven't followed this story in detail, but so far as I remember that, curiously enough, her house was in Southampton, the same city where I am right now. And wherever these things went, people saw a giant hairy wolfman of the classic, you know, B-movies werewolf type thing. And several people that kept these these heads supposedly saw this, this wolfman type creature. But in the talk, the guy who who deliberately got drunk before giving the talk, which which really was just (laughs) a great, great move. I'm not joking. Deliberately got drunk. Um, He said how in his investigation, he discovered that one of the children who had lived in the house adjacent to the garden where the hexam heads were discovered, this child had made some hexam heads at school out of plaster and had made them look like rock. And these had been discovered It was discovered that this had happened after the original Hexam heads had been found. In the talk, he explained how this demonstrated that the idea of the Hexam heads, that the Hexam heads kind of permeated space and time, and they had somehow driven this child to independently create their own versions of the Hexam heads. Ah. that's how you explain these
1: things.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's the kind... You know, when you're looking at that kind of (laughs) logic, (laughs) because... Oh, oh, and some laboratory tests were done on them, and they demonstrated that the hexam heads were actually like twenty or thirty years old. But I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Yeah, they're actually ancient Celtic, and it's just, you know, It was. It, you see that I haven't got that. Yeah, you know, I haven't got the story work. You know, perfect there. But um, but that's the kind of stuff you you, you do see, and it's well, you like, do you, know,
2: you do. And I I think one thing I, I do um, I support your position, Darren, that that cryptozoology in itself is not a pseudoscience, although I think there are many mm-hmm. people who um are pseudo scientific in their approach and, and in their yeah thinking. without a doubt sure yeah yeah so yeah. so i think it, you know it that you get into titles and labels and um, nomenclature but uh I, I think it. it, it I, I love all these mysteries to see. I'm looking at the hexam heads right now, by the way. I, I see that, that my children have also been controlled and have been producing the same sort of quality <laughs> artifact here in America. This is quite a mystery. <laughs> well, there you go. That's evidence for ancient the
0: ancient Celts visiting me, uh, yeah. crossing the Atlantic many hundreds of years ago. No doubt. Um I didn't mean yeah, to take yeah. us off a so, of
2: topic. I want to get back to Brazil and...
0: Uh... Well, you mentioned the Mapinguari. I mean, Brazil does have some famous cryptids. Uh, the the Mapinguari is is uh, one of, one of the, the coolest, I think. And it's, there, there's, um, it's kind of interesting, especially interesting, because there is a theme associated with it, which is another kind of recurrent motif that we see in cryptozoology, which is, I'll explain... Um, if you read the cryptozoological literature, if you read the the books written by people like Roy Mack or Koshuga, so and so, um, articles by there's a, a, a biologist called David Orrin who's particularly interested in the mapping quarry, you get the impression from all this literature that the mapping quarry is a sensible, sounding, um, ethno known creature it's mm-hmm. it's it's a large kind of bear-sized shaggy furred thing with large hand claws it's clearly a mammal with large hand claws it's fairly slow moving and it's able to generate very loud noise and as you know uh, john may know this as well i don't know but certainly blake will know this um, I'm reading that,
1: Wikipedia now.
0: Okay, so that, <laughs> that, that that general description vibes with the idea that the mapping quarry, and this is the popular you know uh, scenario among crypt disorders, the mapping quarry is a modern-day ground sloth. Okay, not an unreasonable idea. We know that there were ground sloths alive just 5,000 years ago. You know, within virtually the ed, you know the edge of human history, or whatever. So it sounds pretty realistic. Um, however move on. The 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 thing that happens with all with all of these phenomena is that's the kind of rational sounding um, description that people have, have used and, and the rational sounding explanation is they've gone for this this ground identification. But when you actually look at all of the stuff that's said about the map inquiry, you see far more diversity, disparity, weirdness within the reports. So David Oren himself says that the mapinguari is supposed to make a noise like a jet engine. Now, ground sloths were fairly large animals, and that's why I don't, think, I don't think it's impossible. They could have made, you know, quite respectable, big, loud noises. Living tree sloths they're pretty small, but they can make, like, really horrifying, loud screams. So I wouldn't, it's not out of possibility that, like, a, a bear-sized sloth can make horrible noise. But then the mapinguari is also supposed to have this giant mouth in its belly. And this is supposed to secrete a uh, noxious gas which incapacitates people. It's also said to be impervious to bullets and spears and stuff. And again, the sort of rational explanation is ah well, that's because ground sloths had armored skin, and that's how come they could uh, you could shoot at them and stuff and they'd be okay. Well, not in fact, not all ground slates had armored skin. Only a, we only know of a couple a couple that do, and. Again, the descriptions do not, you know, some of them sound like more primate-like. People talk about it being able to move quite quickly and having like a limb. um, There's there's some recent eyewitness eyewitness descriptions that if you'd heard of them coming from like North America, they were basically descriptions of Bigfoot. They weren't descriptions of a a shaggy, slow-moving, sloth-like animal at all. And there's also descriptions of like it having a giant eye in the middle of its belly as well as having the giant mouth. So there's there's definitely this tendency in cryptozoology. You see this a lot in kind of Bernard Hooverman's writings in particular, where where people like pick and choose the characters that make something sound respectable and plausible and more like a real animal. And that other stuff, the argument from cryptozoologists is that other that other stuff is kind of like mythified stuff added to the edges of the creature, you know, the 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 escape clause is that even known animals are attributed with magic powers. It's said that you know certain animals can phase in and
2: out of invisibility and all that, you know and that so kind of stuff. They have escape clause and regular claws.
0: Yes, yes, <laughs> okay. and and I, the mapping Gory is a really, I think, a really nice um, example of that because if you see, uh, my, uh, just briefly again, the, people like David Orrin they give you this respectable view, this description, it's a ground slice, but then you look at all the stuff, it's like, it's impervious to bullets, it's got a giant mouth in its stomach, it makes it sound like a jet engine. You know, if you said any of those features to a, uh, a, a sceptical biologist, a zoologist, they they wouldn't immediately be thinking, oh, that sounds like a modern-day ground slice you have there. They th- <laughs> they'd be thinking, what have you been smoking? Or, you know… Um, You've been, reading those, you've been reading those mystery animal books again and talking to creationists again, haven't you? Um, and I think that's actually true of quite a lot of uh, cryptids. It's tr- true of it's... the Ropen as well, this New Guinea thing.
2: It, it, I notice
1: here that the um, Mapinguari has backwards feet.
0: Right? Oh, yes, yes. Which now is another a, that's little that's another detail thing.
1: you get in a lot of cryptids, yeah. isn't it?
0: Th- well, feet. that's right, yeah. it's Well, it's... Um, it's something associated with any kind of wild people type um, entities. I mean, not just, there's, there's even characters from mythology that were meant to be just human. They weren't meant to be like wild people, but a spiritual, like something to show that there's some magic about them spiritually is this, this back-turned foot thing. That seems to be a very common motif.
2: Hmm. Well, it's a great way to make it hard to track them. I mean, I yes. imagine because you think you're going towards their destination, you're actually going the opposite direction.
0: Well, again, it's something that people have tried to rationalize. So so Hooverman's On the Track of Unknown Animals, for those who don't know, it's the, like, the classic book on mystery animals, um, originally published in French, 1955. Um, he says how this description of backwards feet for Orang Pendek and yetis and so on is to do with people... Um, mistaking the outside of the foot for the inside of the foot, something something like that. He actually does try and come up with some but some some like explanation that can fit within rational zoology, but which still is quite hard to understand, which is why I've totally failed to explain it there.
2: Well I know this isn't on the agenda per se, but um Ah uh, good. The good. uh you did <laughs> since you know, we're gonna cross post this in the Monster Talk feed so that my listeners can uh hear your podcast. Um yeah. Can you, can you talk about your new book a little bit. Ooh. Which one? Well, all, all the, our yesterdays. Oh, yesterdays.
0: <clears throat> oh, kn- knitted at the cat out of the bag there, didn't we I? sure <laughs> did.
2: Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Mike, what are you talking about? There's only one new yeah. book. Or is there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the
1: yes, there's all yesterdays, which is our latest book, isn't it, Darren? So, it's well, it's out.
0: It's, it's one the that very can, latest. Yes. Yes. which they can purchase from Amazon and other digital retailers at a very reasonable price. <laughs> um, yeah. Go
1: on, yes. John. So, oh, talk about all yesterdays. Well, just, yeah, yeah I,
2: mean, I, I could try if I understood it correctly, because I still haven't gotten a copy yet, which is uh, um, I that's my bad. Um, unless you were supposed to send me one, in which case it's your sure bad, but I believe it's mine. Um, the, <laughs> I, it, as I understand it, it's, uh, it's, kind of talking about the issue of uh, the how things might look if people were interpreting uh, modern animals as they have to do uh, ancient animals where soft tissue preservation is an issue and showing like some of the limitations of paleo art. Is that basically the concept? So there's two sections to all yesterdays. Um, the first section is
1: sort of re-examining um, paleo art as it is. So... There's lots of tropes and conventions that are built up which aren't necessarily true. We just, we don't, there's no positive evidence for a lot of things that we do. And also there's a lot of possibilities that aren't explored. So the first section is more about that. It's more um, prehistoric animals that we're familiar with, re-examining them based on what we actually know about them. And also speculating some of the more spectacular things which could be true, which we just wouldn't expect to be in the fossil record. You know, there's no, there's no way for lots of things to preserve um, especially behavior
2: right did you get the herculoids in the uk
0: um no what's that no
2: it was um it was a hanna-barbera cartoon it was set on another i was another gonna place. say it sounded like some sort of yeah yeah and, 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 disease. and in the show they had these uh they had these creatures and um i want to say they were gleep and gloop uh they were sort of uh uh like giant amoeba creatures that could change their shape and Even as a child, it occurred to me, well, if that was real, there'd be no fossil records of it. There could have been this entire society of these amorphous blobs, and we'd have no record because they didn't leave any record. Now, obviously, these are just fictional characters, but it's just just the sort of thing that wouldn't be preserved had they existed. Yeah. Right. We never did have the haeculodes. We had Barbara Papa, but... (laughs) Wow, I don't know what
0: that is at all. See, nobody's ever seen. Actually, there's there's uh, the, the there's a the, I know Family Guy very well, and there's a Family Guy reference to one of the Hercules because there's like a there's a sort of there's a thing that looks like, like a white teardrop with black eyes and that sort of. I know exactly did right. understands. Yes, that. yes. Yeah.
1: Okay, so now we've done that little code. <laughs> <thing, okay. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but the second point, second part of all yesterdays um, is reconstructing modern animals as if we had little to no access to their soft tissue. And you end up with quite crazy things. There's a a phenomenon known as we sort of dubbed as um, shrink wrapping, which is um, prehistoric animals tend to be shown with the bare minimum of well these days it's become it's sort of the modern way of reconstructing prehistoric animals is with the bare minimum of soft tissue so you know you reconstruct the mus- muscles quite carefully and then shrink wrap the skin on and then you're done mm. but if you actually look at modern animals this isn't anything like what's going on you know there's tremendous num- amount of soft tissue saggy skin fat
2: oh yeah feathers, well, it, it,
1: uh, all this sort of stuff so yeah um they end up looking very very different if you do anything akin to modern the modern um practice of shrink wrapping things
2: yeah i mean it's astonishing to me i mean as one of those kids who loved dinosaurs as a child and thought i knew it all and then you know by the time i'm an adult they're all feathered uh, they they stand differently uh it's mm, really
0: mm. well we should also say that yeah that the the, the new spectacular feathered dinosaurs that have been discovered um almost entirely in china they they show as well in keeping with what jo- what John just said that the the outlines of these animals were not like tightly adhering to the to the skeleton that the, the bird like ones were like birds in that a lot of you know the animal itself, the kind of core of the animal the the skeletal animal was like buried deep within this what this kind of like environmental suit made of made of often surprisingly long feathers um really cool that some of these feathered dinosaurs actually were not living in. You know there's this idea that the Mesozoic was a was a, a greenhouse world, a constant hothouse. In actual fact, the places where the feather, a lot of the feathery dinosaurs come from is actually pretty cool, as in kind of, you know, temperate sort of North Europe. It was, it was also fairly cool. awesome. <laughs> yeah, clear on that. Um,
1: but yeah, I mean I think one of the things that there's, there's a bit of a resistance to this here amongst people who um, draw dinosaurs seriously. Uh not the idea that they were feathered, but there's a reluctance to completely cover them with with feathers, as is probably appropriate, because you completely obscure all the anatomy. So one dinos- one feathered dinosaur looks pretty much like another, you know, because they all should just be pretty much um, completely obscured with their feathers. Um, I think this is quite disappointing to people who spend a lot of time learning mm. dinosaur anatomy mm. right
2: it is what well, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. the future will have uh like three drawings for every creature where you have a skeleton or skeletal uh, <laughs> and then you have uh, uh one without hair or feathers and then you have one fully dressed uh, well
0: we're not we're not a million miles away from the stage where we can talk about integumentary characteristics for at least some feathery dinosaurs so you know we actually know specific details of their their plumage you know we're still having debates about what the coloration was, was oh, like that
2: do they do I, you what, know it's been so long since i've looked but do, you know in when i used to look at mummy books as a kid they used to always have the deal where you'd have these layers of uh clear acetate uh with different levels so you could peel back oh uh, yeah you remember those it's like yeah, you could start with the sarcophagus with that, yeah. of king Titan and then get back down so you get down to the uh the interior where his his body is and his uh, famously missing penis.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes.
2: Yeah. So can I
0: say penis? Mm, well, you can say penis as much as you like, more or less. Uh, John actually did that with <laughs> you. Did that with your, I mean, that's that's the case for your your pterosaur, your ananguera, right?
1: Yeah, I said penis a lot then. <laughs> <laughs> Five or six hundred times, I believe. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes no yeah i did a um a sort of a it's not online at the moment uh i have been trying to i've been thinking about putting it back online for a while there eh? um it's an Anhen- <laughs> <laughs> uh. oh, dear. yes which you can peel away from the outer structures to the inner structures um it was a little um html uh program actually uh that i wrote um
0: Nice. And in connection yes, I... with this, we should also give a shout out to Matt Martinick, who uh, who has just a couple of days ago published uh, an article on his um, uh, his, his blog about the, the very same subject about the why people are still getting feathered dinosaurs wrong because they're starting by doing the skeletal animal and then they're putting the feathers on. Where he's saying, no, 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 look, if you were doing a bird, and his example is a chicken, you would actually start with the contour of a chicken and you wouldn't worry about the actual posture of the neck skeleton and, and such. And this. Yeah. Matt has done a book called Field Guide to Mesozoic Birds and Other Feathered Dinosaurs, something like that. I really like it, yeah. And and his idea there is that over raptors and dromaeosaurs, these feathery dinosaurs, it's like, yeah, if if you're thinking of them as live animals, you've pretty much got to forget the skeletal characters and... It, yes. they just this just just doesn't reflect what they would look like if you were to actually go back into the mesozoic and with a field guide it's like you know throw away all your skeletal reconstructions <laughs> which is the case for birds so yeah
2: sorry
1: yeah i was involved in that book very early on um oh yeah vaguely talking i was talking with matt about um co-illustrating it with him and we what i was doing is i was uh finishing off some of his pictures so he'd do a basic one and i would i would work it up to a finished finished painting um unfortunately i wasn't working quickly enough and i wasn't paying enough attention to the project um oh john so and also (laughs) i think i'd started ramping up all yesterdays by then and and but matt matt got it all finished by himself so and he did a fantastic job fantastic job and so much work and now that i know what it takes to get a book together
0: yeah, and I have and I have a digital copy of that book and I want a hard copy. I'm not happy with the digital one because I can't do I can't I can't sit on a train and flick through it and I can't walk about the streets and walk into the road while looking at it. <laughs> I
2: can't whack young
0: right. whippersnappers over the head with it. Exactly. So anyway, it does sound like Blake really needs to get a copy of All Yesterdays and, and it's available from Amazon, and other digital retailers at a very nice. reasonable price. <laughs>
2: A link to that will be in the show notes at monstertalk.org. Oh, yes. Oh, very nice. Blue. So, uh, well,
0: Habs I was going to say a how free
2: important. Copy for that, Blake. So, so, what's it say again? Sorry. Perhaps we'll give you a free copy for that. Oh, that'd be wonderful. I, I, free is great. I'm so poor. So, <laughs> so I, I was going to say the uh, paleo art is so important, though. I mean, for most people, especially. Uh, Uh, Well, I say I don't. am just gonna step back and just say, for most people, their first introduction uh, to these mysterious creatures from the past is through the artwork. You know, when you're just a child, I mean, that's you see these things that are as big as trees, and that's it. It captures your imagination, and and so I'm thinking about also uh, the impact that incorrect art has had on um, people's understanding of these creatures. For example, uh, the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, You know, one of our very early episodes of Monster Talk was about, um, we called it the plesiosaur hypothesis, was Nessie a plesiosaur? And of course, there's no evidence for that. But even more interesting to me is all the hard science about plesiosaurs that has come out since the 1930s has changed completely what we would expect these creatures to look like, how they behave. We know a lot more about their biology now than we did at that time. And so the the surgeon's photo uh, doesn't make any anatomical sense, as I understand it, because uh, a plesiosaur's uh, <clears throat> neck it doesn't look like a swan at all.
1: Yeah, I think this is kind of interesting. That a lot of the um, cryptids that are meant to be, you know, identifiable things like plesiosaurs or dinosaurs, um, they're based on 1930s conceptions of these things, mm. um, which I mean, I think fairly... Clearly, indicates they're cultural things rather than based yeah. on real animals. Uh, in Nessie's case, we know that many of those things are, in, in fact, hoaxes, right? In this surgeon's photo—that's
0: that right. definitely a hoax, wasn't it?
2: Right.
0: Well, we don't we don't know that, but it's. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's real, but it's most likely that it was. Yeah. 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 There
2: was yeah. a. There was a. Uh, I get. What would you call it? It's not a deathbed confession that it was a hope. And uh, for I think for most people, that's satisfactory. I think there's uh, still a, a, yeah. a group of people who who disagree about whether that was a legitimate uh, piece of data or not.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that there's there's something in that that it's a. a yeah. It's Spurling and Weatherall. This story that it's a, a the submarine with a carved wooden.
2: The head on the top of it Oh, but, uh, uh, pl- plasticine
0: plasticine or yeah. wood, they they said plastic wood as well but uh, yeah yeah there's no way there's no way it's a it's an animal that's the thing that annoys me there's this people saying that it could be a water bird or an otter it's like an otter's tail really You think that looks at all like an otter it's like uh but um a
1: log would be the most likely thing if it yep. was something natural <laughs> right
2: a lot, a lot of lake monsters have uh pretty clearly <laughs> um, been demonstrated to be logs yeah,
0: a logginess about them. Yes,
2: I yeah, I've had experience of this going
1: out on uh, looking out over water and seeing something and thinking that's very odd, and looking at it for a while and then realizing that it's a log.
0: So well, I think If they're rolling has, or something, but, they can look very yeah. The very amount odd. of times I've I've seen lake and sea monsters on numerous occasions. You know, looked at them for a few seconds and it's well that clearly is a tire, a log, or you know a sub the edge of a submerged rock or something, but really interesting human aspect to the the Loch Ness phenomenon in particular is people obviously go there with the idea that they're going to see a monster so they see absolutely anything and they they think they see a monster whereas if they were somewhere else they would see the same thing and not think twice about it so so every single thing that you might see in a big lake and Loch Ness is unusual because of its size and shape it's what is it it's like Twenty-two kilometers, twenty-two miles long, I think, and a kilometer of mile. I'm missing, mixing things up here. But no, it's I'm really not. long. I'm really, yes, yeah, it's, it's something like twenty-two miles long and a mile wide. So, yeah. what happens in it? It's very peculiar, and it's kind of this U-shaped glacial valley. So you get these weird waves that travel up and down, and also hit the side and then bounce back and meet in the middle and form a standing wave, all that kind of stuff. And then seals get in there. Deer swim across. There are grebes and cormorants sometimes. Oh, there's, um, there's
2: Scots and
0: uh, <laughs> Swimming elephants, camels, <laughs> um
2: enormous snails. Um <laughs>
0: Tully Monstrum, giant newts, carboniferous amphibians, long necked seals, you know peop- people will
2: think you're joking, you know that, right? And you, and, and and that's not really what you're doing. <laughs>
0: You know what I'm doing, and I think that's good enough. It's, you're like enumerating
2: is what you're doing. I'm but... enumerating. So yeah, so I,
0: I will explain for the benefit of our erudite or non-erudite. List. Yeah, but, but um, basic, yeah, you yeah, mean just... the
1: ignorant suckers that listen to you sprout <laughs> off of this
0: nonsense? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. We have a highly august listenership. Um, are we going
2: to call this them. the Tetra Podcast because that? Uh,
1: you know. <laughs> well, you, if we called it anything, would be if we ever changed its name, I think it would be tetrapod cat.
2: Tetrapod. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's going to get well, your fun. your Google ranks right up there, right?
0: <laughs> that's what we actually. That's that's what we actually do. Call it on on tweet tweets and such. But uh, yes. yeah. Now there's about there's going on for like forty different. Uh, hi, what do you call them? Hypotheses or suggested identifications? About forty different ideas as to what Loch Ness animals could be and um the, the the list i just gave was some of them and there are there are many more so yeah that's what we were referring to there yeah yeah
2: someone uh i was at a conference where uh a guy uh on a panel with ben radford uh suggested that the uh that that possibly what was being shown in the surgeon's photo was a tongue <laughs> uh okay <laughs> and ben Said, "How do you know it wasn't a penis?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: a, 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 a tongue of a penis, I can understand, but a, a tongue of what? Right,
2: right. I don't know. <laughs> it was a little unclear. So.
0: The the penis thing. I mean, maybe uh, Ben was probably joking, but maybe that's a reference to this uh, the, the the whale hypothesis that Charles Paxton has mentioned in connection with sea monsters, not with Loch Ness. Oh, right, 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 yeah, but um, six
2: foot tall, and th- what, three foot around at the base, and you know, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I." Yeah. They are yeah. Uh, spectacular. I don't know if I would think it was a, a sea monster. I just, you know, but I also probably, if I hadn't seen a documentary, uh, I, I don't know if I'd recognize it as a penis either, just something strange. So, I mean, the ones I've seen, I mean, and, and I do have a, a really robust collection of uh, whale penises, uh, photographs. Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> they don't look as, uh, as um, classically penis shaped as I would have expected. So. I think that's but, a good mean, title a yeah.
1: really robust <laughs> collection of whale <wild> pignesses. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the title of our the episode there.
0: Yeah. Well some of them are very flexible and yeah. um the, the 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 case that Paxton and colleagues were referring to was that famous uh, I've forgotten the date I want to say 1550 something Hans Egid uh, reported from off the coast of Greenland this 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 beast that was illustrated on a map and yet another one of these cases where again, look what cryptozordists have said, and look what look what's always illustrated. It's illustrated as a giant, scaly, um, kind of lizard-shaped animal with with paddles, a kind of plausible-looking reptilian sea monster. Whereas if you look at the original illustration, the very first one ever done of this encounter, it just shows like an S-shaped serpentine thing. And they were saying that, well, what's more likely that, that they really saw the tail or the body part of a giant unknown thing? Or did they actually see... A couple, one or more whales engaged in boisterous sexual activity, which uh, which does result in giant, sometimes S shaped objects being <laughs> thrust out of the surface of the water. So um,
2: I, I believe I actually have seen that argument uh, written mm, on the web at least once. It might have been. Well, there's
0: a, yeah. yeah, no, there's a technical paper about it, which I'll send you if you're, if you're interested. Um,
2: if I if mention, come on. What? T- <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've I've done quite a lot of stuff together with Charles. We we presented a um, well we had the Zoological Society of London um, Sea Monster um, Sea Monster Conference whenever that was a couple of years ago. We also did one for the There's a skeptical organisation based in London. The the um, is it what called the CFI or something? Um, and we did a um yeah a day of Sea Monster talks and stuff with them and and. Uh, we're we we're we're working together on some some well a couple of projects to do with uh, a which is secret no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, Charles, I was trying radio. to get him on
2: Monster Talk and I messed up uh, the scheduling very poorly. So I, I need when I get back uh, to regular episodes, I will try to get him on again. I, I failed miserably. I'm really embarrassed by it.
1: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get
0: lucky just about anywhere.
1: and find us on instagram tiktok and twitter
2: at chinwagpod and wagon so
0: well he might just not like
2: you now that's a possibility <laughs> <laughs> we're getting in some tweets um have, have you are you getting
0: these john
1: i did get one
0: there's one from tyrannotitan yeah that's at hulaetherium about Barrasukids. I should – before we go any further, I should say that I've actually received over over the last two or three podcasts that we've done, I I have received quite a few uh, questions. But people send them to me over Facebook, over email, and over Twitter. And when – so my apologies to um, people who we haven't gotten back to. Some of them were really good, and and I'll write them down, and we'll come back to them in time. There was a really good one about the movie Tremors. There was another one about – pterosaur egg laying strategies there was another one about sexual dimorphism and tyrannosaurus and uh
1: yeah it'd be good if i mean if for people that do have twitter accounts i think that's the best thing to put them on isn't it is to live tweet us
0: yeah yeah well
1: not necessarily live but i give it the hashtag tetrapod cats
0: yeah so <laughs> this is kind of um <laughs> Do, do, do we do we want to deal with this now? What do you think about the as dominant predators hypothesis? Because I can explain, I can answer that right now. Um, what do I think about it? I think it's good, John.
1: You know what? I don't really even know what they are. What are they?
0: Ba- Barosuchids. They're um.
1: Oh, miso, you
0: crocodilians. Okay. Wow. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you knew that just off the top of your head. Yeah. Yep. They're, they're, they're they're like pro- predominantly terrestrial. Um quite quite good size, as in three to five meters long and maybe even more, um, robust skulled pseudo-sabre toothed crocodiliforms. That's the Cretaceous the, the they're part of a larger group called Sebacosuchians and, and the Cretaceous ones are like living alongside theropods, and then obviously the the ones that are living in the, the paleogene and the neogene, because they're still present in the Miocene, I think. Um, they are living alongside, you know, sometimes pretty big carnivorous mammals. So um um
2: I have a question you know, i as you may know i I have a limitless amount of ignorance at my fingertips i, I just <laughs> why did animals have such big names back then
0: <laughs> That's a good question
2: I know John
1: <laughs> well, my understanding it is that it's it's done um to me off, yeah. Because I used to know all the dinosaur names and now I know about half of them, maybe less. And all the new ones have terrible, terrible long names that I can't, I can't get my tongue around.
0: Nah, that's not really true. It's just all
1: aimed at me to destroy my knowledge base.
0: But there, there are living animals that we should be intimately familiar with that have terrible, terrible names. And I think the most terrible names belong to living things. Uh, not, not fossil things. So the longest dinosaur name is Grisiotyrannus atroceatricostatus and that's not a mesozoic dinosaur, that's a modern one. And after that the longest, the longest dinosaur name is a stork Paleoaphopyrhynchus detricki. Uh, then there's a bunch of arthropods with names like Parapalacea chitodermocarrus lyricites and uh, I've forgotten the other one, but that's, that's the longest one. Um, and who has uh, the shortest? Eaio, um, which is a bat, four letters. That, that's the shortest. I mean, bear in mind, I only really know tetrapods. There's, there may be other living things that have shorter names than four letters, but I-O, um I A I O, it's an Asian brown bat. And a and delicious the name, sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what does Google say to shortest name for an orga- uh, organism? Um, um, delicious sauce. Still kind of trying to work that one out. But um, yeah, the name was deliberately invented in order to be the shortest, the shortest name, shortest name for a mammal. But whether it's the shortest name for anything, but um, yeah, people have people have fun with names, and also people not only have fun with fun with names, but people are also incredibly stupid about names. So there are some people who think that it's okay. To call something, there's a an animal that was given a different name, and its manuscript name for a long time was uh, I can't say it, but it was. It was ten syllables, and I said to the people describing this name, describing this animal, it's like, are you stupid? You want to give this 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 animal, which is famous. It's like a really famous. Um, flying thing from the Mesozoic. it's like it's referred to whenever you talk about these animals it's like a key thing you always refer to and their original name for this thing 10 syllables and i was like people people are not gonna work with that you need something that's like short and punchy and they'll remember it and they turned around and they came up with you know a, a really a sensible user-friendly name but um but yeah some people just don't do get don't get it there's a group of glip there's a gliptodon this armored kind of giant armadillo type thing called um, haplophorus, which means armor bearer, and then a scientist found one that he thought was ancestral to haplophorus, so he called it um, paleo haplophorus. And then he then found he's, uh, this is a, an Argentinian guy called Florentino Ameghino. He then found like an ancestor to that one, so he called it pro paleo And then it was decided that pro paleo haplophorus was different enough to get its own like group of um, these animals, group group of glyptodonts. So the the group name is pro paleo hoplopher pro that that's ten syllables again and it's like <laughs> what what's the, like hoplophorus hoplophorus that's not too bad but like keep on you're gonna keep on sticking on like you know pr- prefixes and whatever like you know when are you when are you gonna stop why can't you realize that that's just that's not that's not i know back then the just name it
1: should we give the like the vaguely sensible answer here is that all these things have to have unique names. So you're just safer giving something a long name, right? If you uh, go for a short uh, name, yeah, yeah.
2: there's a but very good chance it'll be taken already. True, but yeah. it, I think astronomy's handled that with numerics. <laughs> so. Oh, don't get me started on the whole <laughs> formal naming. Yeah, so, so I, I, I was very... slightly joking, but I, I will say that science is uh, it's wonderful in that it's self-correcting. But it is in no way self-simplifying, and I think that's uh, uh, mm. impeded also, its popularity.
0: <laughs> and there is, there is an issue attached to, to names of, of organisms specifically, which is that we have this code which forbids us from changing them as well. So we're kind of stuck with names that are often widely hated and are often ah, completely yeah. erroneous. Brontosaurus,
2: right? I mean, Brontosaurus doesn't exist, but it could I mean, if it was allowed to be corrected, or if you could just well—that's but... a tricky
0: one. That's the yeah. Let's 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 steer clear of that one because that's, oh, that's, that's 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 because Brontosaurus does exist. It's never stopped existing. Right, but it's, it's a just, uh, right? Well, well, the species. There's one species that the name Brontosaurus goes to, and current thinking, you know, pretty much universal thinking at the moment is that that one species belongs within this larger group called a Patosaurus. But it's not impossible that at some point in history someone could demonstrate that that Brontosaurus the particular species, Excelsus, is actually deserving of special recognition. But I get I do I get your point. Yeah. Um but, but, but Bacillosaurus, a a whale, you know, but originally thought to be a reptile, hence Bacillosaurus, you know, that that's kind of a dumb name and I think people You
2: should be able to fix that, right, exactly.
0: You should, and there probably wouldn't be any objection to it, but you just can't because that's the rules. Um
2: yeah. So we just but, had I mean, another. Can you imagine uh, if Fred went to order the Brontosaurus ribs and they said there's no such thing? <laughs> well, actually,
1: they'd say, well, actually, I think you mean Apatosaurus ribs. I
2: think that would be the last time Fred and Wilma attended that restaurant. So.
0: Maybe, but that wouldn't be such a bad thing. Um,
2: the, I have taken us down a dark road. I apologize.
0: <laughs> just, just I was thinking about the Flintstones earlier today and I'm trying, trying to remember why. It was, yeah. yeah. I never did like the Flintstones.
2: No, me either. Uh, And and
0: I'm not, I'm not a Hanna-Barbera fan. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very much, you know, into animation, but I I do um, not really appreciate uh, anything with of of Scooby-Doo. I hope. No, I despise Scooby-Doo with a vengeance. Um, Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although, a bit of a thing for Velma, which also was a bit strange, but, uh, but
2: (laughs) nothing strange. You love her and you hate her. <laughs> i like her as long as she doesn't lose her glasses i thought that was and
0: that's maybe part of the appeal. i think she's secretly really hot but um yeah but um, she's
2: not, she always like she goes from being super um like really uh helpful and useful and confident and then she loses her annoying. glasses and suddenly she's <laughs> like i lost my glasses you
0: know, just, i'm sure that's just an act that's just an act oh yeah but, but, um uh, uh, hannah barbara i think the the new the new smooth did anybody ever see the new schmoo
2: yes <laughs> yeah well that was
0: that was pretty weird there's pretty hor- there's
2: horrible stuff in their repertoire or in their their oeuvre <laughs> <laughs> so, i agree i'm not, I, I don't want to defend them they were a uh, uh what do you call it a uh a, a sweatshop yeah oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well they were a source for moving uh cereal boxes every saturday morning <laughs> So, that's was you know, I don't know,
0: yeah, yeah. We're good at this. We're really good at this. This is uh, if you've you, you've listened to all the previous Tetsu podcasts, I I'm have. sure with, <laughs> brilliant. Uh, Going down these strange. See, I think. Well, let me, let me ask you for Monster Talk, when this happens, when somebody mentions a stranger side, do you just ignore it and just quickly move on? It depends. You know? uh,
2: sometimes if I think it's, uh, if it's got salient information that's useful to the listeners, I'll leave it in. Uh, and then sometimes I will let the discussion flow, but then I'll cut the whole conversation out.
0: The best episode of The Simpsons is the one where they meet that guy who claims he invented itchy and scratchy, and it's and it's got it's got like a hundred different homages and references to animation history. There's tons and tons of stuff in it that's deliberate references to like you know the early Mickey Mouse cartoons and uh, well not just that's the only bit I remember right now, but loads of other stuff. And if you're into animation history, you know, you get a big kick out of that. Uh,
1: <laughs> cool story, bro. Oh, there's the
0: the 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 song about the. The, uh, the, the the I'll stop I'll stop I'll stop Okay yeah. carry on I should,
1: yeah. maybe I should make a different podcast which is <laughs> Darren reminisces <laughs> about cartoons. Darren tries in to remember <laughs> <laughs> himself
2: and he he doesn't like computers so there's no Google <laughs> to just get the answer right <laughs> What was that thing called again I'll never remember it <laughs> <laughs> Did you, are we going to be talking about this David Peters situation or is that? Go ahead. Well, I have uh, literally minutes worth of research behind me. So let's, let's hit it if you want to. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and, and the results of your minutes of research.
2: Well, so, so let me, so let me see if I can set the stage because I am a, a definitely a lay person when it comes to this matter. Um, well, but, but there's have- this guy, you tell me if I'm wrong. There's a guy named David Peters. Um, who is a uh, Correct. an illustrator uh and a lot of what he draws uh or is uh is uh how do you, you're gonna say skeletal and i would say skeletal but it's it's uh reconstructions of fossils, and his methodology is to use photoshop uh, and use some filters and contrast adjustments in order to try to find details in the fossil um that he thinks other people may have missed and so in doing so, he's come up with these, um, I'm going to be polite and say novel interpretations mm. of uh, of what these fossils mean. And that's a problem or a challenge, I think, for him in that he's positing uh, a, a sort of drawings that don't really match up with what the generally accepted uh, uh, structures are. And the second thing is that when he's confronted about... Uh, how he may be wrong and uh, that he has been recalcitrant and uh, responded by sort of trolling the discussion boards. Uh, and um, yeah, is that, is that roughly accurate?
1: That's a, Yes, that's a very accurate interpretation of what's yeah. going on. So the, um, the, he's the, go ahead. Sorry. He's, he's a very interesting character. I mean, I, Darren and I have both met him and he's quite, I, I, I get along with him personally. He's a, he's a,
2: I tend to get along with uh, all kinds of people. And, 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 and I think that f- it's frustrating for people. Uh, it's, it's fun, I think, or, or, or is it, maybe it's a default position to pop yourself into a tribe and just be against other people. But I mean, the guy is a great artist from what I can see, but, um, mm. that what you run into, I think this happens a lot in, uh, in cryptozoology as well is when looking at a photograph and using Photoshop to make adjustments, um, One cannot be as confident of what you find through adjusting contrast and filters because there's all kinds of artifacts that can come out um, that might not be literally physical structures as much as um, something that came out from the way the camera interpreted the light or the digital processing took place. Uh, So, I think
0: that's all. uh, Yeah, that's. I think you're absolutely on the ball there. There's one other thing though, which is that not only does he report an awful lot of what he thinks is anatomical information that literally is not present on the fossils he also uses this extra in quotes extra information that he discovers to inform his hypotheses about uh, you know evolutionary patterns and paleobiology so he has generated an incredible quantity of the, the amount of stuff he can do is just uh, uh, he he's publishing like an article a day on his blog you know with novel observations and new reconstructions the amount of information that he has put online about um you know new evolutionary scenarios phylogenies for 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 fossil reptiles in, in particular um, many of which are in well virtually all of which are informed by by this stuff that he sees and nobody else can is but there's a really important a really interesting parallel between you, you, what you have just brought up reminds me a really interesting parallel between his stuff and cryptozoology which i've mentioned a few times but of course most people don't won't get the link. Are you familiar with um, Eric Beckyard, the late Eric Beckyard? Yeah.
2: John Eric Beckyard. certainly am. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. Well, you know, so, so for the benefit of others, Beckyard um, would take uh, photographs. Uh, would have photographs of scenes of North American woodlands, including the background scene to the famous uh, Patterson-Gimlin footage and he would he claimed that he could see numerous sasquatches of different sizes and shapes you know baby ones and adults males and females hiding in the background footage and he could and he said that in these um, background sasquatches that you could see um, and I, I almost quote this he said that you could see pimples and hair follicles and uh, an eye color he said you could see like the blue eyes of apparently sasquatch has blue eyes according to him um yeah. And and anyone, you know, anyone else that would look at these photographs would say, well, there's some trees there and I can see there's a bit of shadow and there's like a bit of light there. But, you know, there is seriously, what the hell are you on? There is no way you can say there's a, a hominid there. There's, there's There may be a vaguely human shape, which is clearly an artifact. But then to say that you can see pimples and eye color is, you know, a a total joke. And... So far as I know, that what I've just said is the universal opinion among people who looked at uh, Beckjord's photographs, um, and it's the same with with David Peters's stuff. He says that there's all these extra things. Originally, he for, for several years he'd been saying that on f- uh, fossils of pterosaurs he could see numerous soft tissue structures, like he could see that they they had elaborate soft tissue crests on their heads, which isn't totally outlandish because we know that some you know we know that many pterosaurs did have big soft tissue crests on his, but he was saying that you could see they had giant plumes on their backs and elsewhere on their bodies, they had giant tassellated tails that no one else had ever seen. And they had extra toes and extra teeth and extra fingers as well, extra nostrils. He was saying they had like two nostrils was was a feature he was reporting. But then he started saying that you could see babies all over the place. He was saying that on many pterosaur fossils, you could see they had like soft tissue babies clinging to the bodies of the parents and preserved on the same slab around them. Now he now says that all of that stuff was wrong and he was mistaken and that we need to forget all that and when we criticize him nowadays we need to just ignore the fact that he ever said all that stuff. But the argument I'm having with him at the moment and a few other people involved as well is like we can't forget that stuff because he was as confident about that stuff then as he is about the observations that he makes now. So right now, he isn't saying that there are babies all over pterosaurs, but he is saying that he can see like 100 different skull bones other people can't see, and he can see extra fingers and blah, 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 and, you know, various anatomical details, which when you look at the fossils are without doubt not there. He is seeing like scratches and, and lumps and bumps on the substrate and preservatives even, you know, all kinds of artefacts. Um, I didn't really want to talk about Dave Peters because I could talk about it for, for hours. I think it's a big problem. I've written this very long article on Tetrapod Zoology about why I think David Peters is such a problem because of his productivity, the amount sure. of data that he has put out there, and how visible it is online. Right. And you, I, you, I
2: think bit. what
1: yeah. I think one of the very interesting things about Dave Peters is, is just how much information... Well, information is the wrong word, perhaps, because we think content. a lot of it is content he can develop. But also, what he knows... It's I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but he's he knows a lot about the specimens. he can rattle off specimen numbers and things, and <clears throat> if you get into a debate with him, you find that you're just doing this um gallop through minutia that he seems to be able to keep up with very, very well. There was a creationist. What was he? Dwayne Gish, is that?
2: Yeah, the that Gish his name? Gallop. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Gish
1: Gallop. And I think in some ways I think that um, Dave Peters has this sort of thing going on that he, he has this almost encyclopedic uh knowledge of this sort of of minutiae of specimen numbers, all sorts of stuff, and he'll just gallop through it. And it's very difficult to keep up with him and try and pin him down on something. It's
2: hard to write with that much speed if you're if you're bound by uh, yeah. accuracy. So <laughs> if you have to do fact checking, that sort of thing.
0: Uh, well, the, the 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 thing that came up over the last couple of days in the discussion, myself and others are having with him is 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 he said that he said in response to a criticism that I sent to him. He said, "You never respond to the specifics of my arguments. You're always just making general arguments about you know." That's stuff. I've, the kind of stuff I've just been saying that we should ignore him because it's untrustworthy. He said, "Why don't you address the specifics?" So, I did. I have today been seriously toying with the idea of start of getting into the habit of, um, of of just bullet pointing things I object to in in the articles. There was an article, there was a fairly new article, where you know he comes up with some skull reconstruction of an animal. Um, a, a, a South American pterosaur, and and I can see straight away, being familiar with this specimen, that it's like no, the things you're reporting are not accurate descriptions, not accurate observations of the actual specimen. But while I've been thinking about that specimen, he's published something else that's an article every day, which has got a substantial amount of of misinformation in it, and it's like my policy on my blog is to. Maybe if I had a lot of time, I would post something every day. But I post something every few days. And if you give something like two or three days, there's time for people for it to sink in and people (laughs) to chat about it. Um, But, you know, if you're putting tons of stuff out, and new things every day, it's like no wonder people aren't. I I see people talking on Facebook and Twitter, you know, other other working scientists saying, he said this about, you know, my animal. That's completely wrong. He's just, again, a very recent article, Auronis, this this. Uh, recently described early bird from from China, Dave Peters starts his article by saying it's three times as big as Archaeopteryx and twice as heavy. And it's like, no, it's not. That's not. <laughs> did you actually read the paper? It's like a, it's a tiny little thing. It's the size the size of like a a, yeah, a small crow or something. Um, it's it's well, yeah. In keeping with what you're just saying about the Gish Gallop, it's like this crazy amount of information just churning out, and that's it's kind of impressive. But it's kind of scary and i i really if only
2: we could harness these powers for good instead <laughs> well, a, yeah I, but, but that's the problem i mean that, that's a, a a global problem with the internet is that um it's so easy to put out vast quantities of nonsense uh mm. and and it's unchecked it's just unchecked and um and and so you know i sort of resigned myself to the idea that if you're looking for scientific consensus, you go to peer-reviewed journals and, you know, to some extent you can trust uh, other sources, but that that um, you can't just go out and grab a blog entry or, uh, you know, mm. a Wikipedia mm. entry even to some extent without doing a little follow-up. Because if you happen to be an expert on a topic, uh, like a really deep expertise is part of what you have uh, and you go to a Wikipedia article, usually you'll find that they have problems, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, they'll suffice for, for some things, but, but I mean, the internet's just full of nonsense and, and there's not, it, it'll probably emerge, but right now there's no really great way to find out whether something's factual or not. There is something called web of trust. Uh, Tim, Tim Farley uh, is a very active uh, skeptical it guy uh, who has kind of pointed me to some things like that where you can give pages a ranking um, and, and help people figure out whether or not this is actually good information or bad information. It probably would be worthwhile um, to get more people uh, using that kind of a tool set.
0: And that's interesting. I noticed on um, uh, Wikipedia, they've, they've started, I don't know how recently, but there is now a Rate This article thing where you can uh, give something a number of stars, according to how trustworthy you regard it. That's so cool. But that's... of
2: course, you know, the facts aren't really determined by democracy. But
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I can imagine a lot of um, creationists going to the evolution page and say, exactly. this is untrustworthy. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting. Dave Peters is a very interesting phenomenon, because I can't think of an equivalent person that works on dinosaurs, for example. You know, he's, he's chosen such a specific little topic and generated so much content on it. Um, have, have you seen my I, work I just not think penises. of another parrot. <laughs> <The, the, the,
0: laughs>
2: what yeah, was the comment? Now I, I missed that. So I said, "I said, have you seen my work on whale penises?" So, sorry. <laughs> oh,
0: sorry. <laughs> the closest thing I can think of in terms of the stuff I'm interested in is this: is um... Raymond Hoser, this um, uh, amateur Australian herpetologist who has. Now he's he's far more damaging. He's in a different league from Dave Peters because he actually publishes he has his own well, he, over the years he's published several of his own in-house journals, and um, has uh disc- named um more new subspecies species families, groups of living reptiles, particularly snakes, than have all the great herpetologists of the like 19th and 20th centuries combined. And um he he is not a um a like sterling, you know, top class, extremely thorough, brilliant researcher. He is oh, again, choose my words carefully, he is, you know, not a trustworthy source. He does things from other people's photographs. Uh, it's clear that some of his species are just based. Uh, species in quotes are just based on color variants and things preserved in bottles that have been discolored. Um, there's a there's a recently published paper which does really basically try and gather together as many working herpetologists and say what what can we do about this? We need to act on this this guy because this is such. It's, it's called taxonomic vandalism. That Hosa is just you know publishing new names willy nilly. That um, according to the international Commission on Zoological Nomenclature. these names like, have to stand, they, they are valid. Um, and we know of some cases where um, some groups of researchers were not aware of the problems associated with this guy's research and they started using his names thinking that, you know, taxonomic change had occurred and these were like the new names that are now in force. Now, if you're dealing with venomous snakes that, um, that uh, uh, potentially have a, you know, a significant um, we need, basically, people need to keep up with the labels on these snakes for reasons related to uh, the conservation of the snakes, but also for human uh, welfare and medicine. Then uh, for someone to just come along willy-nilly and you know publish like 100 new names a year, which is, you know, Hoser published a revision of, of rattlesnakes a couple of years ago, which was adopted by, by one body and, and caused some, some, some confusion. Um, this, is, this is a real problem yeah yeah hose is is a is a colorful character put it that way he he has a lot of um not only does he have this like extensive taxonomic vandalism thing going on but he's also always involved in numerous hilarious japes and scrapes with the um um local law enforcement and uh, i think he's been to prison for and he, and he fabricated some document that got him into a lot of trouble to do with jumping a traffic light and 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 yes there is the as you say the the videos with the, with the intense. Oh, because we should also say that he keeps venomous snakes himself, and he has this technique which he has published on where he chills them in a fridge and then ties them down to a board and cuts out their venom glands um, while they're fully conscious. He says they're chilled, so they're fine, they don't, they don't feel the pain. And then he says that that makes the, the most dangerous snakes in the world, it makes them like completely harmless. And he's actually had his daughters be bitten by things like inland taipans, you know, the most dangerous terrestrial snakes in the world. And uh, as, as proof that look, they're perfectly safe and their venom glands never grow back and all that kind of stuff. And um, I mean, when I hear stories like that, I'm always concerned about the welfare of the snakes. It's not okay for the snakes, but also there's, there's a, there is a significant danger there to the humans that are holding them. So um, I still haven't written about that. The most recent um, Raymond Hoser thing. I do. I do mean to soon.
2: Have you guys seen any good movies a few years ago? (laughs) (laughs) I come to think of it I did, there was one called
1: Prometheus Flower Fields (laughs) What? Prometheus Oh god, see the problem I have with Cloverfield which is the film we're going to talk about Are we recording? Yes we are (laughs) (laughs) Just Just to be sure The problem I have with this film is that I liked it so i'm not really i can't do my usual rant I'm like being able to rant about a film and i can't rant about it i thought it was good it's a great monster film i love it
2: all right so that's done then let's move <laughs> well, on yeah, <laughs> well <laughs> you know i woke up at 4 a.m and i was like what if i've forgotten all the important parts and so i i sat around in the dark while my wife and daughter were sleeping and i was trying to read up on cloverfield and i realized that i probably should have watched it this week just to kind of get a better uh recollection i'll tell you the i thought the monster was very cool so do we need to talk about what the movie was about for the people who may not have seen it
1: um you know what i think people who haven't seen it you're probably not going to enjoy the discussion so switch off now yes. um <laughs> <laughs> i think we can assume people have seen it yeah
2: all right. So yeah. so this is uh the Cloverfield was a found footage movie. I mean, that was the 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 technique. Uh and I really enjoyed the intro. I enjoyed the whole movie, honestly. Uh the only thing that I thought was a little uh wacky was the uh there's a scene where they're gonna go try to rescue a friend and she's trapped in a high rise, and the <laughs> high rise has tipped over and is just leaning against another high rise. <laughs> and mm. and um my experience with engineering and physics suggests that that would not happen. <laughs> that if a building tips over like that, it will collapse into a big pile of rubble. So, well, uh,
1: indeed, I mean, not to bring in too heavy a topic here, but uh, we sort of saw what happened in nine eleven, didn't we? I mean, we sure when something did.
2: starts to go
1: down, it it really just sort of.
2: Oh, yeah. Mr. Gravity's hard to deal with. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I think that that's a valid observation. However crazy stuff can happen. So, uh,
1: <laughs> right, right. yeah, we and also, <laughs> and also, I mean, if we're going to buy into an animal that big that can move around, like it does clearly we've got some weird physics going on. Right. For sure. Um, so, so, so I,
2: sponsor, what, so reading last night, I realized that I, I, you know, it's one of those films where there is all of the information that you get in the film. And then it's a JJ Abrams film. Uh, which I guess is a little bit more like Lost than, say, Star Trek, in that yeah. there's additional information available, but you have to go out into the web and dig it up. And the idea yep. was you would do that before uh, the show, and you would be like looking for clues to get more information, right? Yeah, so, What well, is there's this... Yeah. Sorry, go on. Go on. Well, I was just going to say, I, the creature's origin, there seems to be some mixed ideas about what the origin is. It's As I understand it, the, the main intent was that this is a creature from the sea, but that a satellite falls into the ocean and has something to do with why the creature is attacking. And, and that's a little unclear to me, because where the satellite falls when you see it at the end of the film doesn't look like it's in water deep enough to hide a creature this tall.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: So, I, Yeah, I, that, that, that was weird.
0: That, the, the, the kind of backstory to Clover... The name that we give the creature is that it's meant to be sleeping deep in the uh, crevasse or crevice. Um, That's a a reference to a quote in the movie, and it's meant to be woken up by a sleeping, but woken up by the by the satellite that you see from Coney Island um, uh, at the end. And I think if you watch the film like enough times, you see these curious little kind of snippets um, that that kind of that indicate a larger universe that they created as the backstory and then if you're nerdy enough then you go and like check these things out like the slusho japanese company the fact that we know that uh, rob is is leaving to japan to work for slusho we and we see his brother jason wearing a slusho t-shirt and then if you look at the the oil tanker that's overturned in the harbour, that, I think that's got a slusho symbol on it. And there's some, so so what's the backstory to slusho? Well, before the movie came out, there was actually a special slusho website. That's right. And and it told you that it used an ingredient that they took from deep-sea organisms. And there was like, if I'm remembering this correctly, they, they there are photographs that are meant to be taken at their like deep-sea exploration site. And there are a few weird creatures, sort of caught, you know, blurrily at the edge of frame, which could be members of the same species as clover, or they could be some of those giant parasitic arthropody type things. And maybe they're saying that some ingredient from the creatures is put into uh, where am I going with this? It's something to do with people exploding as well. Something well, that's, with the, that, that's the,
2: the other thing. So, so during the film, um, some of the um, I don't know what do you call them, they're survivors, I don't know what they're the people who are the, the protagonists, protagonists, the protagonists, protagonists are trying to get. Through the city and the city is under quarantine there's military fighting because essentially this is kind of like a Godzilla movie only there's Mm. no backstory while you're watching it there's just this monster shows up and and how people react right but the Mm. the monster is carrying parasites that are more human-sized and one of the protagonists gets bitten and in a, I thought a really wonderful way they don't show you on screen but she essentially explodes mm. <laughs> as a consequence of having been bitten i didn't understand i thought this was like an alien burster, that this was maybe how the the parasites reproduce but that doesn't really make sense and so no. something in them makes you explode that was i just found this out last night i i had the whole time thought that that it was a, oh, they've been bitten, now they have to be killed before the eggs come out, we get more of these things, you know. Um,
0: yeah, I think it's meant to be like a, a, a reproductive dispersal thing, which, which I don't know, you, you can kind of understand how you could make up some crazy speculative reproductive scenario that involved the injection of eggs and then, you know, the, the explosion of planktonic larvae from a, from a host, which I, I don't know, maybe that's, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that is the idea that they were kind of going for. So um, it was
2: supposed rather, to be reproductive.
0: Um, I, I'm pretty sure I've read that somewhere. Rather than just, it just being like a horrific, pointless death. Yeah. And
2: that, that, well, no, no, it it didn't seem pointless. It, it it did seem horrific, and 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 as in most <clears throat> uh, reproductive strategies, it explosive is you know par for the course. So
0: yeah, yeah. So. But Clover, Cle- it's one of my it's one of my favorite movies. The creature looks great. It's like yeah, like all movie monsters. It's kind of improbable in terms of. Biomechanics and, and such, but I mean, it's you know, 300 foot tall and it's got a sprawling gait and you know it's and it ch- like like so many movie monsters it changes size during the the movie a couple of times. <laughs> it
2: does. Um, uh, is it a hexapod? Um, I, I'm, I'm a little well, uh,
0: yeah, no, now. I'm um, looking at the
2: clover so. toy
1: here and it's 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 um, it's a tetrapod.
0: Well, my uh, th- this has happened several times. It, this happened with um, uh, tremors. Some with a few other movie monsters. I really wanted to write about them for tetrapod zoology. Tetrapod zoology. I'm limited to you know. I only want to write about tetrapods. I kind of lose interest when something isn't a tetrapod. And um, <laughs> the creatures from the graboids from Tremors. And and I'm kind of like linking here to a question that I had of, of um, on on Twitter or Facebook or something. Um, I thought they would be really cool the graboids if they fit within. If if they were meant to be like giant amphibians, they were meant to be like weird burrowing reptiles or something. But the backstory to them is they're actually meant to be terrestrial cephalopods. They're meant to be mollusks. And as soon as I found that out, I was like, I oh, forget it. I'm not interested anymore. Clover, really cool monster. And again, you know, I could write about that as a tetrapod. But in the script, that well, if you look at uh, Clover, it's got um, it's got it's a tetrapod but it's got some giant things called feeding tentacles that descend from its belly and there's a, there was a planned scene in the movie where it's actually sucking people up through the feeding tentacles and kind of as soon as I learned that it's like that really ruins it for me it's like it's a tetrapod it's going to be eating things through its mouth why would it have feeding tentacles on its belly? So. uh that kind of put me off. And you, you do see them, the the end scene where Hud, the guy who's doing most of the filming, where he actually gets killed at the end, um, you get a good close-up shot of the underside of the animal. This is one of the bits where it changes size because earlier on in the film, when we see close-up shots of its head, that when the main characters are going down into the subway, its head is like literally the size of um, an apartment block. So we're, going, we're, we're talking like more than 20 metres long. And yet... Later on, when it picks up HUD in its mouth and bites him in half, it's like a person compared to a head that big. You'd be lost in a mouth. You wouldn't be like easily a big item chewed and chewed at the side of the mouth. It, yeah, it, 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 it
2: that actually caused people I was attending the film with to ask whether or not there was more than one creature because yeah, it was it, was, it stuck out that much. Yeah. There you go.
0: It's also meant to be a baby, so the idea that it's that that its behaviour is not meant to be it's a normal animal stomping around, trying to wreak havoc and eat people. It's actually panicking. It's meant to be looking for its mommy. (laughs) So, uh, which reminds me of Gorgo, another one of my favourite favourite movies. You've um, you've both you've both seen Gorgo. Is that
2: is that the uh, is that the Uh, Swedish? Is it is.
0: No, it's a uh, British and it's so, like
2: okay, that's the British one. Okay, yes, yes, yeah. I have seen. I've I've seen them for sure.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, the uh, yeah. So, Gorgo, uh, Reptilicus
2: think, is the other one I was thinking of. Reptilicus,
0: Reptilicus is yeah. What is that? Yeah. Swedish, Norwegian? I think it's that's Swedish. That, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Well, Gorgo, they capture this giant Godzilla type dinosaur creature, but then it turns out that's the baby one, and then the mother comes to retrieve it. And uh, the, the the thing, the story with with Clover kind of reminded me of that. I don't know if it was. I've also heard, mind you, that that Clover is a reimagining or a kind of a pseudo-remaking of a Korean movie called The Host, which I I've seen is very good. It's got a brilliant monster in it.
2: I've seen that. No, the no host, it, I've seen that it denied. Yeah, yeah, denied. I mean, they, they explicitly deny it. So. Oh, okay. So that's yeah. that's a lie. There. But, the I know host is was, a great
0: film. It yeah. is great. The, the creature in it. But there's also supposed to be an American remaking of The Host uh, in the works, which which which, went, when I thought that the, the clover field was based on the host, it seemed to be like a weird thing to do. It's like, hasn't that kind of been done? But, um, but um, they were both
1: remakes of Godzilla. Right?
2: Not remakes. No. No. Oh, come
1: on, they were. They were reimaginings of Godzilla then. Re-Emanate. That's like
2: saying it's just because the movie has spaceships and it's a remake of Star Wars. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> Giant monsters that come out of the sea and destroy a city. There's an entire class of films. Uh, Kaiju. Uh... Kaiju. Yeah. Have you
0: seen the Pacific Rim trailer?
2: Oh, of course. Yeah. My yeah. my son is uh is uh a complete Godzilla fanatic. He's eleven. Cool. And uh and and so he's they've been teasing the new Godzilla movie now for more than a year and a half, and it looks like it's gonna come out in twenty fourteen. And so Pacific Rim is the uh the the filler. That's like <laughs> now I'm a big well, fan yeah, of Guillermo the del Toro, so I'm excited and have yeah. my hopes, but uh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Hellboy, brilliant, and um uh the 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 Pan's Labyrinth as well. That's him, right? It is. Um yeah. Um they do ex- explicitly refer to the creatures in Pacific Rim as kaiju, so I did wonder whether it's meant to be within the Godzilla universe. But um
2: That's a great question. I, I if not, I think that's a great way to to handle it. Uh, I think just mm. acknowledge that there is this class of of monsters and not, not treat it. I, that's why one of the problems I have with zombie films where there's sort of this standing tradition of you never call them zombies, which is kind of amusing. Yeah. So, so, well, I mean, come on. I mm. mean, if, if, mm. even in The Walking Dead, they don't talk about the zombies, yet everybody – well, it's supposed to be the same world, the
0: right? That, yeah. Yeah, why
2: why everybody just forgot that one thing? It's the same world except (laughs) zombies are real. Never, never was there a zombie movie. They'd be in yeah. poor taste, so, so, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: politically incorrect, and so that's the thing. Um, when you said there are teasers for the new Godzilla movie, what you mean actual TV spots and trailers and stuff?
2: No, no, no. I meant uh, just people pre- referring release, to it. Press uh, a little blur okay. in there. Yeah, I was
0: going to say I was, wonder, I was getting worried there was something I'd missed there. Yeah. 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 Well, and one of the things that I, like, I liked about Cloverfield, and actually I, I made my dad watch it and he really disliked, is that is I can watch that first, uh, I think it's about 20 minutes, which is just basically soap opera about setting up the, the, human, um, st- the human story to, um, uh, what's he called, Rob and, and uh, Lily and those are the other main characters. The the and, you, right. Yeah, yeah, you can like I can watch that. I mean, maybe this says something about how sad and pathetic I am, but I can watch that and not think, "Oh, get it out of the way, get to the monster." It's like, actually, that's for the for the reality TV generation. You know, that's uh, I I think it's all, it's all, it's all pretty, it's pretty good stuff. And and the fact that you have the the such memorable scenes for me, like people are doing people stuff. We mentioned this bit where they they go to rescue. Death trapped in this apartment, and while they're rescuing her, it's like you realise deep in the background, in the, the streets of New York, you, there's something stirring, and uh, they're struggling, trying to get her off her. She's impaled on a, a, a metal it's spike. A spoo bar, spoo bar, yeah 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 behind them clover is walking down this coming toward, toward the apartment block that's just an awesome scene uh,
2: the, the, they did this i mean i realize the, the the monster changes size but just the feel uh the way they did the special effects it really feels like the creature has mass it doesn't look flat i mean it really yeah. feels like something horrible has happened it kind of reminds you in a way that maybe godzilla doesn't especially in some of the later movies where mm. uh it would be really horrible if creatures this big came to town.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it really would ruin your day. It really would. Um,
2: it would um, be unpleasant.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and is it? Oh, is it true? I, I've never been to New York. Is it true that they actually scaled up the size of the head of the Statue of Liberty? Because if they had actually had it at real size, it would look, it would, it would be too un- un- unimpressive. Yeah. Uh, I have heard. I've
2: read that several times. Yeah. Um, I, I I would imagine that would be easy to determine using uh, Photoshop uh, <laughs> and measuring tools uh, compared to foreground uh, items. Uh, that's the kind of nerdery I will not get into oh, now that I have a wife and kids. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it could be done. The Statue of Liberty has made appearances in a pretty impressive number of sci-fi.
2: You mean Remo Williams. Uh, we'll just say it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> <Reba> Williams? <laughs> you haven't seen Reba? Oh my gosh.
0: Okay. I'm sorry. I you've lost me there. What? Well,
2: you should watch it. It's a uh, it's a uh, based on a series of action adventure novels. Uh it's got Fred Ward who you'll recognize from Tremors. Uh uh-huh. and he plays a uh policeman who is uh uh his death is fake so that he can become a, 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 a like a paramilitary crime fighter and one of the things that happens is there's a fantastic fight On the outside of the um, uh, the Statue of Liberty, when they were doing the reconstruction in the eighties, so it's like this incredible scaffolding based uh, combat. It's really good.
0: Wow, I had no idea. No, I, I haven't heard of that movie until well, I see there's several of them. Remo Williams. Uh, well, there's lots movie, of books,
2: so. and then there's one movie uh, which was actually supposed to be part of a. I think they called it "The Adventure Begins," if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not really science fiction though. It's just action. oh, cool.
0: Okay. Well, it's it, it's it's used as a fight scene at the to- uh, one of the X Men movies. That's right. Of-
2: That's right. Statue of Liberty. And, and, and we, cool trick.
0: <laughs> Yes, we we were talking. John and I were talking about Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, several. Uh, podcasts ago, the podcast to go, and the the original ending actually has Anne Audrey too climbing to the top of the the Statue of Liberty, and and obviously there's so many other classic classic appearances of the Statue of Liberty, Ghostbusters too.
2: Well, <laughs> see, it's too bad because if they made the <laughs> little stopper harder, you could actually shoot that footage using Vine. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> well, yeah. John, you're being very quiet. What do you think about uh, Cloverfield? Apart from the fact that you liked it and thought it was good. <laughs> you, can, you know,
1: I probably shouldn't have agreed to talk about it because
0: oh, that's yeah, pretty yeah. much
1: all I think about it. It's, it's good. It's a great monster film. Liked it. Thumbs up. Right,
0: right, right, right. You can take tours of New York City that take you around the, uh, the key spots that feature in the movie. Um.
1: I'm looking up. I, to tell you the truth, what I'm doing is looking up um, the, the Statue of Liberty. The head size. Ah. <laughs> head size, chin to cranium. I suppose that means to top of the head. Uh. Seventeen like... feet. Well, that's pretty good. That's... What's that in meters.
0: Uh, divided by three. Ish.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, it's, so, it's so obvious. Uh, I don't even have to. I'm not even going to say it. Um, it's about five, six uh, meters, isn't it? yes yeah, about six
1: six meters six. bit less yeah. five five meters maybe yeah
0: yeah so that that's it's that's bit that's smaller than the if, if in in cloverfield it fills the the entire breadth of a two-lane street i think yeah so, five
1: meters is more like the size of my sitting room so yeah mm. it's not that big no no well hey well yes. I'm glad we went to went there that oh 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 the the Easter eggs in cloverfield,
0: so
2: oh, see so, you know see what you've done, you see, so you've got clover right, and then you've mm. got Coney Island, and now you've added easter uh, eggs uh, there's a there's bunnies. a rabbit pond ready to <laughs> leap out at us in any second,
0: yeah, <laughs> wow, I didn't think of that yeah yeah um the 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 pterosaur meeting um Brian andres, who works on um phylogeny has devised a new piece of software called jackalope. And uh, and I was saying afterwards you everyone, you know that jackalopes are real? <laughs> and, uh, and they are, you know, they're based on... Uh, did you know this? Jackalopes actually come from European folklore. People were illustrating jackalopes like in the, I don't know, 15th century or something, in Germany. These uh, hares and rabbits with black antlers coming out of their heads. Mm-hmm. and uh, And it seems that these are... Rabbits infected by a papillomavirus, a a, a virus that causes um, lagomorphs, hares, and rabbits to grow disgusting black. Uh, antler like excrescences out of their heads that look like <laughs> they look like antlers and it seems that is where the jackalope legend came from it came from europe and people then obviously took it to the americas and um for whatever reason it seems to have died out in europe you know people that people nowadays have forgotten that this happens even though it still does happen you can find photographs today of european jackalopes but obviously the legend persisted in uh, north america and um quite a few people have blogged extensively yeah, yeah. about this
2: in North America though it, I don't think I've seen any examples where they were anything except
0: um uh jack rabbits with Right, with with prong handlers, on antlers, sort of. sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I'm saying that's where the idea came right, from, right?
2: Right. Actually, yeah. I tried to get the uh, what, there's a guy on the internet who's put together a really nice paper on this and has a was obviously it's not really a paper because it's on the internet, but whatever. Uh, mm. He 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 wouldn't come on the show though. So I mean, it, it's like I thought that'd be fun to have as a as a whole episode to just talk about that. All oh, right, right, right. But you covered well, it here, and so now I could put a link in the done. show notes. And done. Exactly. And oh, people have oh, yeah. to
1: do a Google image. Image search for this. Yeah, it's, it's gross, isn't
2: weird. it? Yeah, yeah.
1: Jackalope papillomavirus. virus.
0: Yeah. Nasty. Wow. Huh? Oh wow. <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs>
2: is that called JPV? Is
0: that? Oh, these poor, poor bunnies. <laughs> You've heard everything you need to know, people. But take it back a, a little bit. If the the Easter eggs in Cloverfield, did you did you know about all the other movie monsters that appear in the movie?
2: Oh, they've got my favorite. Uh, like probably my favorite uh, is uh, them. Yep. Um, I, I love, as far as giant monster movies goes, that's that, still best, I,
0: quote, best quote of any movie ever Them Them, them, <laughs> them. If that, that movie features, I think it's about 17 Wilhelm screams. There's also, there's one Wilhelm scream in Cloverfield, which is when I think it's the bit when it crushes the tank just before they get rescued by the, well before Li- Lily gets, she's the only character that seems to survive but, uh, but yeah, so you, you know this John may not, John may not know this, but there's bits where the, the, the camera that's doing all the filming in Cloverfield glitches and we see it kind of go, sort of the, the, the screen goes all pixely and you get flashes of pink or purple. There's like one frame, uh, at least four occasions in the movie where you just see one frame, or maybe more than yeah, a couple of frames, whatever, of a scene of a famous movie monster and, and, and the giant ants from them, like I just mentioned, that was one of them, King Kong, Radiosaurus, from, is it 20,000 Fathoms Under the Sea? Um, is in there, and there's one more, which I think is, might be King Ghidorah, or Mecha King Ghidorah. Um,
2: I don't remember that one. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting.
0: I went through the, yeah, I've gone through the film many times trying to capture them all, and I've when I found them, I've um, photographed them and uh, put them on Facebook.
2: <laughs> and, and, and this was before you were married, or after? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've been married for a long time, so uh, <laughs> well, that's yeah. It. yeah. So,
2: so your your wife knows, okay? Well, so I got the same situation. My wife knows I'm a <laughs> nut, I'm a mad.
0: So. Yeah,
2: so, this is great stuff. Though I, I love your podcast, and I really appreciate you letting me come on here and talk. So, thank you very much. Because I mean, I, normally when I listen to it, I talk as well, but you can't hear me. So. <laughs> <laughs> John's Shut the same. Shut up, you idiots.
1: <laughs> um, who's got something to plug? Because we've come to this very special time in the show <laughs> where <laughs> people get to plug things that they want to
2: sell. <laughs> I have nothing to sell. You could, uh, so I don't know how much crossover we have in our audiences, but you could uh, come check out Monster Talk. Uh, we're currently actually on hiatus. Uh, I'm on a break because of uh, my day job. Oh, you know what I could plug? I have my day job uh, Selling office supplies Uh, I'm an IT guy For an office supply company Called Officezilla And you know If you live in the UK You can't buy anything from us So uh, maybe this was A big waste of time So
1: (laughs)
0: <laughs> we have an international audience, so uh yes. um, but actually, yeah.
1: going back to monster talk, I'm working my way through the back catalog now because I didn't actually know about it until very recently um yeah, I think it's very sort of thing our audience would listen our audience of four or five people might be <laughs> might it's, be very much into so' just go and check out monster talk
0: yeah, it's pretty well known i, I did a I did a talk on um cryptozoology, um at a um a school for 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 um children young 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 men it was a boys school in here in hampshire a couple of months ago and i was introduced as you may have you may have heard him as the guy who's who did a thing on on monster talk um because obviously they they, they'd like built up some interest in cryptozoology mystery animals and skeptical thinking and stuff so um yeah yeah
1: so even though the show is on hiatus i mean there's hundreds of episodes to get yeah, we're through, coming right? back so i'm just on break <laughs> yeah well exactly but it's not as if people will be starving for content um if they're new to the show now will they
2: that's right they've got if they're new to the show there's plenty to listen to so yeah 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 and i surprisingly Sorry. little i mean we haven't had to go back and do a lot of corrections i've been really happy about that so uh, uh, oh, we'll do that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so, so we're, John and I, we're working on a book at the moment, aren't we? Which we're, we'll talk about that as and as when we come to it. But All Yesterdays is still available. Uh, and uh, people interested in the kind of stuff we've been talking about will obviously need to get hold of TetraBod Zoology Book 1, which I think is still available from Amazon and, and all good digital retailers. I blog at TetraBod Zoology, which is currently hosted at Scientific American.
1: Yeah, I I have a website johnconway.co, um, and an impossibly told um spelled Twitter handle. So you probably should go to johnconway.co and then follow my link to Twitter.
2: Mm. And, <laughs> and oh, that's, yeah. Sorry, I you, yeah. I probably should throw in my Twitter handle as well. I I absolutely I tweet as Doctor Atlantis, the D O C T O R Atlantis. Uh, and if you follow me, uh, you'll get links to. Uh, my occasional monster talk episodes and lots of horrible, horrible puns. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I tweet at, at, at. that arm is too strong <laughs> for blasters. Use your harpoons and toe cables. Go for the legs. It might be your only chance of stopping them. Tet zoo. Uh, <laughs> and there's also a, uh, a Facebook tech zoology page. Um, and with that, yeah, I that. <laughs> we, need to, right. we need to say sincere, sincere thanks to, to, to Blake for uh,
2: Yes, chatting yes. with us
0: and spending
2: Same. hours. and yeah. Well, thank yeah, you very thank much. You very- for having me. This has been wonderful.: oh.
1: ooh, ooh, ooh. if you're a Tetra podcast listener, you can go to skeptic.com. Slash podcasts slash monster talk to subscribe to monster talk. And if you're a monster talk listener, you can go to tetzoo.com uh, to subscribe to Tetra Podcasts, or as it's officially known, the Tetrapod Zoology Podcast.
2: Step into the world of power, loyalty.